Would you journey with me again as we return to Calvary? Each week leading up to Easter, we make that journey back to the cross. We hear Jesus say something each week. There are seven different statements that Jesus made from the cross that were recorded for us during this time of preparation for Easter, we're listening carefully to each one of them. I want to invite you to go with me as we return again to Golgotha, where Jesus is dying on the cross and he speaks for the third time. We heard him first say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then we heard him reply to the the thief who was repentant. And he said to the thief who was dying next to him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And now this morning we hear him speak again. Look with me in John chapter 19 and we'll, we'll hear his words and we'll see again the love that he shared in such an an unmatchable way. We're in John 19. I want us to begin at verse 25. John chapter 19, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Well, they did what? It just described how they, at his feet, they gambled for his clothing. It would have, uh, it would have been kind of uh, traditional practice for those who were actually the, the people, not those who gave the orders or those who, who, who kind of cheered them on, but the people who actually drove the nails and placed Jesus on the cross it would have been a traditional practice then for them to get to divvy up his personal property. Jesus had no real personal property except the clothes that he had worn before he was stripped naked. And so they split those up, but the the tunic, that, that undergarment, if you will, was especially nice in that it didn't have a seam It was carefully woven as one piece. And they said, well, it'd be a shame to tear this into four pieces so everyone could have a piece. I mean, it wouldn't help any of us. It wouldn't do anybody any good. So instead, let's just gamble for it. And so adding humiliation to pain, adding humiliation upon humiliation, they are at his feet gambling for his undergarments. And so it says, therefore the soldiers did these things. Look at, look at the last part of 25 now. But there were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. This part of the story focuses on three people. And as we listen carefully, let's watch carefully as well. And let's pay attention to what they do and say, beginning with Mary. It gets a little confusing in this text and then later at the tomb because there are so many women involved in the story at this point named Mary. And that's, that's really not that, not that strange. Mary was just a very common name. Just a, just a bunch, of, bunch of people called their kids Mary. So it gets a little confusing. For today, set aside the other two Marys and Mary's sister and just think of Jesus' mother, Mary. The one who had the greatest of all privileges. Imagine what it must have been like for her some 33 years ago. She's just a young child herself, really. She's, she's, she's a teenager, basically, and all of a sudden the angel starts talking to her and things start happening. And she gets the message that you are the blessed one. Not, not that that makes her holier than any other person. It, 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 when, when she was called the blessed one, that, that wasn't because she was a different kind of human than the rest of humanity, but she was the one chosen in her humanity. She was the one chosen to be the mother of Messiah. God has had in His plan from before the foundation of the world, God has had in His plan to send a Redeemer, a Messiah. And all these years, thousands of years now, People have looked forward to, have longed for, have cried for, have called for the coming of Messiah. Please, God, send Messiah. Mary grew up hearing those calls. Mary grew up worshiping in in ways in which they were calling upon Yahweh to send Messiah. And then she gets the news. Mary, you're the one. Out of generations and generations and generations, God has chosen you. That's why she's blessed. Not because of anything about herself that made her special, but that God chose her to be the one through whom Jesus would be born. Imagine what that must have meant for her. The greatest of all privileges. You know, I've noticed something about life. And life has a way of bringing balance. And we see that in Mary's life now at the foot of the cross. Because the one who had the greatest of all privileges now has the greatest of all sorrows. As she stands by 
and watches her son humiliated and tortured, ready to die. Simeon told them years ago that it would be that way. You remember after Jesus was born, they took Jesus to the temple, and there at the temple, they saw Simeon. Simeon was an old man, but he had, an, he had kind of a gentleman's agreement, if you will. He, he had a plan with God that he would be allowed to see Messiah before he died. And so in his, in his last days, Simeon is in the temple. They bring in Jesus. And Simeon recognizes him immediately. Blesses him. Says wonderful things about what he will do. And then he said this. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then look what he said to Mary, and a sword will pierce your soul too. And surely she feels that sword even now as she stands at the foot of the cross and she sees her baby boy bleeding. She feels that sword in her soul. She gave him birth, but the world had no room for him. You remember the night he was born, they didn't have room to give him a room. And that was how he lived his life. The world had no room for him. She was the first to kiss that brow that is now pierced with the crown of thorns. She used to hold those hands which are now held to a cross by nails. She guided him as he took his first steps. Now his feet have a spike through them. His disciples abandoned him. His friends forsook him. His own nation despised him. His people rejected him. But his mother stayed close. His mother stood at the foot of the cross. What an example for parents today. Let me chase a quick rabbit here. Is that okay? My preaching professor said it's okay to chase a rabbit as long as he's got meat on him. Here is Mary. The entire world has turned their back on Jesus, even his closest friends, but Mary is there. Giving for us an example for all parents. Parents, hear me. If you have been blessed to have a child, that child is not an inconvenience. Nor is that child here to provide you the opportunity to get attention. The child is not here for you. 
You are here for your child. Isn't it sad that a pastor feels obligated to point that out today? We have so many parents who treat their children like inconveniences and so many parents who use their children to get everyone's attention. Mary stayed at the foot of the cross. Mary was there for Jesus. No one else was there for him. But Mama was there. Can you see her there? The scripture says she stood. There were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother, the other women, and John. She stood there, not fainting, not turning away, not falling to the ground, but standing strong. She would not betray her son, nor would she reject her Savior. She stood her ground. This is Mary. As we listen and watch, we think of, we see three people in the story Mary and then Jesus. Jesus. What must Jesus be going through? I can't even begin can't even begin to, to, to imagine just the beginning of the, of the anguish. Yes, physical pain. Yes, emotional pain. Humiliation, embarrassment, nakedness. But the spiritual anguish For the first time, feeling the wrath of God the Father. Scripture says that Jesus became our sin as God poured his wrath out on sin. Jesus feels that wrath. That's what he meant in the garden when he said, Let this cup pass from me. He wasn't just saying, I don't want to hurt. He was saying, I don't want to feel the cup of your wrath being poured out on me. Father and Son, divine, holy, trinity, the, the Godhead now feeling a separation that he's never felt before. Knowing that this must happen in order that you and I might find life. Knowing that this is what it takes to redeem a lost and fallen humanity. He goes through with this out of obedience to the Father and out of love for us. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he notices Mama. In the midst of all that suffering, he takes time. 
It's interesting to me that while he's going through all of this, we've heard him say three things thus far. And so far, he has not mentioned himself once. Father, forgive them. Today you will be with me in paradise. And Mama. He's obeying the law, isn't he? That commandment from Exodus 20, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long and prosper. But you say, John, that's Old Testament. That's law. We live under grace. We're New Testament people. I'm so glad you said that. Let's look at the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that you may go well with so that it may go well with you that you may enjoy long life on the earth. New Testament those of us who live in grace, those of us who he's speaking to the church, those of us who've been saved, he says to us, honor your mother and your father so that you can live long and prosper. When, we're, when you're a young child, the way you obey that command is obedience. The way you honor mom and dad is obedience. As you grow, you, you reach a point where you kind of outgrow obedience, but you never outgrow honor and respect to mom and dad. Jesus stands as a 33-year-old adult in the last awful hours of his life amidst all kinds of suffering, and he takes care of mama. Mary at this point is a widow. Now, the Gospels never tell us that Joseph died. But that's the only way that the stories make sense, and, and it, is, it is widely accepted that Joseph died at some point early on. Because we, we see Joseph when Jesus is 12 years old. And then the next time we see Mary is at the wedding in Cana when Jesus is starting his ministry. We never see Joseph again. So it is, it is widely held that Joseph died early on, which means that Mary was a widow, which means that Jesus, as the firstborn of the family, was taking care of Mary, which means now if he dies... The one who has cared for her all this time is going away. And so he takes care of her one more time. And he says, John, behold your mother. It, John, she's, she's not your best friend's mama anymore. Now she's your mama. And, and mom, behold your son. He's not my buddy anymore, now he's your son. Establishing a familial relationship so that his widowed mama would be cared for. We see and hear Mary and we 
we, we, we see in here Jesus. We also see at the cross John. Now, when he told us the story, he said he, he spoke of himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that is John. He's writing the gospel, and in his humility, he chooses not to use his name. He almost never refers to himself in his own gospel by name. He, he refers to himself as the one who received love from the Savior. So even when John talks about himself, he points people to Jesus. The one whom Jesus loved. He was there. Now don't run past that too quickly because that means something. Jesus was there. Where, where was Thomas? Where was James? Where were any of them? The Bible tells us that all of his disciples fled. They all left him. In his hour of crisis, all of his closest companions, those with whom he had shared his life for three years, they turned their backs on him and left him. But John was standing at the foot of the cross, which means he came back. They all left in fear, but John came back. Friend, let me ask you something this morning. Have you walked away? Somewhere along the journey, did you decide to go back and do things your way instead of his? Have you walked away? Have you stepped out of fellowship where you really don't talk to him much anymore? Where you don't let him talk to you through scripture much anymore? Have you kind of walked away? Maybe out of fear, maybe out of laziness, maybe out of selfishness, whatever. Because if you have walked away, if you, like the disciples, are hiding in the shadows instead of standing up for Jesus, if you, like the disciples, are, are hiding in, 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 behind closed doors and locked windows, and if you used to walk with Him and now you're separated, just, just remember... When John came back to the cross, Jesus received him, loved him, and gave him the most important task in all of the world at that moment outside of what Jesus himself was doing. You see, you can come back. Jesus will receive you back. And who knows, he may give you a bigger purpose than you ever imagined. John was there because John came back. Because he was there, he was able to receive that great honor that Jesus bestowed on him at that moment.
I just wonder if Jesus may have something planned for you. These three people help us learn many things. Mary, Jesus, John. But perhaps the most obvious lesson in this part of the story is the most important one. Maybe the most obvious lesson is the most important one. And that is the priority of family. The Lord Jesus was dying as the Savior for sinners. He was carrying out the most important and meaningful task that had ever been or ever would be accomplished. He was about to do the work that all of creation had been waiting for since the beginning of time. This was the reason that the Word became flesh From before the foundation of the world, God had planned for this very moment, and in the midst of his all-important work, he still took time to take care of family. I remember when I was a younger pastor, and I know that's been a long time, thank you. When I was a younger pastor, I used to go to pastor's conferences, luncheons, things like that, and they would have... Older pastors, maybe retired pastors, maybe folks who'd been in it a long time, they would have these guys come back and and they would talk about what they had learned in their experience as a pastor. And almost every time I listened to one of those kinds of talks, almost every time the pastor would say, looking back, I wish I had spent more time with my family. As I heard that time and time again, I decided as a young pastor that I was never going to have to say that. And so we we made family priority. Some things had to go undone. But when my daughter performed or when she participated in something or when she was hurting or when she needed advice, daddy was there. And whatever had to go undone, somehow I don't miss it a bit. And I say that just to say this to you. If you have been blessed with family, you have no greater priority in this life. Jesus dying for all humanity takes time to take care of mama. He was dying for his mother, Mary. He was dying for his best friend, John. He was dying for sinners like you and me. And I just wonder if he's going to do all that. Reckon maybe we could at least live for him.